The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. that time again it's been a few months now finally it's great to be back in the studio the brewing network studios in downtown concord the world headquarters not to be confused with the second what's what's like not headquarters the second location what do you call that uh satellite office satellite office yeah. uh fort collins near near opening in the coming months very close yeah very exciting can't wait to check that out uh, this is the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay. That was Scott in the background there. Hey, Scott. What's up, dude? It's, it's been, been a long, long time. Man. Yeah, we've been, feel like, all over the world, but we're back. Go through your list here since of the things you just went through right before we went to Arab. Where you've been since we were last Since last show. Yeah. Oh, God. SF Beer Week happened. That was happening during yeah. our uh, shows. We did uh, Jester King. We did The Brewery Taru. Mm-hmm. We did uh, Mike. Mike Tonsmeyer came back on. Then the... Crappers Conference in Washington, D.C. Went to Nashville twice. (laughs) (laughs) Went to Brazil. And, uh, yeah, then some other stuff happened, too. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about uh Nashville doing the uh, the blend with uh, Yazoo, yeah? Yeah, we did the brew, and then I went back out there for uh, Brandon's uh, Funk Fest, so his sour beer, sour and funky beer festival. And that was cool. just this past weekend. How'd so. that go? Great. Extremely tiring. Friday flight out, Saturday fest, Sunday flight back. Apologies to the listeners. This is probably something you're, you're getting used to by now from me, but I'm a little under the weather for this show. I have to... I have to admit, luckily, this is a little better than the, what was it, January show with the Rare Barrel staff. Yeah. That was like mid-sickness. This is like day one sickness. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm hoping my voice doesn't give out, but powering through. And uh, we got a lot to talk about and a great guest. We have OEC Brewing from Oxford, Connecticut. Super stoked for those yeah, guys. Yeah, a lot of requests for them over the years and uh, a lot of buzz since we've announced. And they sent us some beers we're really excited about but bearing the lead i can't remember the last time this was true back in the studio with us whoa bevo beve what's up girl she doesn't know she's she's <laughs> retired now yeah trust me she's here she's here i swear we missed the, we missed this actually this Say right here Beve. just so people know you're here please prove it here. okay oh, yeah okay. That's proof. but i'm proof of life i'm like barely here oh i'm hey. watching a youtube video you and me too sister <laughs> Okay. Glad to have you back. Yeah, nice to see you, Beaver. Yeah, so OEC Brewing. Got four four people from OEC who are going to join us. Ben, Tony, Dave, and Clark. We'll get them on in a little bit to explain uh, all the different bars. But, I, you know, doing the, the prep work for the show and being somewhat familiar with their beers, I'm really excited to explore not only all the various types of beers they make, but the interesting ways in which they make them. It's going to be a great, great show. Yeah, I'm excited for it, and I'm excited to actually try the beer. You know, I wasn't allowed to open any of the beer that was shipped here because <laughs> it came with a very specific note uh, here. For it says, uh, hey, uh, Jay, this was sitting on top of uh, all the beers and a couple stickers. Jay, Moscow, and Bevo, hopefully this shipment <laughs> finds you whole, unbroken, and on the West Coast. Forward- it did, I believe. It did. We look forward to talking to you guys next Wednesday. Moscow, don't drink this until then, and sell it appropriately, exclamation point from the team at OE. Well, guys, it's sitting warm, and I drank three of them. (laughs) That's fake news right there. It looks like we got all of them. There's quite a few beers, and we're excited to, to crack them open. We are, actually, let me go through this, Jay, really quickly yeah, at the sure top thing. here. Now, there was a couple shipments of stuff sent in. I texted you about one of them. I actually made a Twitter post on the Hop Grenades page because, which... Oh, you did. Yeah, I did because uh, the, the branding was is so awesome. These guys sent a, a whole a case of just beautiful beers. Uh, I've tried a couple of them is so far. Is that how many beers come in a case? <laughs> no, no. This is, this oh. is an assortment of beers. Okay, so there's extra. Yeah. Beer. And where are those? They're 
at my house waiting for. Oh yeah, okay, deal. yeah, yeah. Well, so I, so I've had a couple of them with uh, that. We had one at the uh, poker night. Oh, these beers. Here. Oh, I know what you're talking about the, now. Uh, the hop grenades mm-hmm. uh, staff that we do often, and I opened a couple of them there. They're stellar. Uh, they are from Celador out of Los Angeles. Now, I think from what I gather, they're they're only doing a the club. They don't have a tasting room that's yet open to the public. From what I gather from Google, I'm forgive me if that's wrong, guys at Celador. The beers are phenomenal, phenomenal. So here. Awesome. Couple beers for you, and oh, yeah. I save the rest of them so you and I can drink them together Very at some cool. point when we can, can actually hang out and, and have a beer together. Yeah, that's a, yeah. <laughs> Apologies to uh, both Celador and uh, the OEC guys. My palate's going to be a little bit right. off today, but we'll wait. yeah, these do look awesome. Beav, is the studio camera on? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let oh me yeah. Just show can, this real quick here. You can hold that up. This one's nice too. It's like a a wolf lady. Uh, half wolf, half lady. Well, that's what it looks like. Yeah, and all of them are like, you know, illustrations and sort of watercolory paintings. But really, like, the key is the beer that's in the bottle, of course. The branding is great, but the branding really complements the beer because they're both just over-the-top great. Yeah, it's really good. I was blown away. I, I've been, uh, as you, as we just referenced, we've been traveling a lot, and I'm kind of falling behind and behind on a lot of stuff. But that includes emails, and I'm... Checking out some of the Rowing Network emails uh, before the show and seeing a lot of people sending in a lot of beers. Uh, and that's always much appreciated from you guys. And Absolutely. It's really cool. So. 100%. So a couple more quickly. Uh, I, there's a, a cold box oblivion problem where I have some beers that I've been sitting on and I don't remember who they're from. I searched mm. my email. I couldn't oh, yeah. find it. They are a Bad Math Brewery. It's homebrew. So if you are the guy that sent me the stuff from Bad Math Brewery, <laughs> it's got cool, cool labels. Nice. And yeah, that's cool. I, I remember kind of being sent these, but I don't remember who sent them. I haven't opened any of them. I've been waiting to do it, but I don't remember Great. who you are. So please send me an email if you're that guy. I'm sitting on these waiting to do a, a, some more um, listener homebrew. We need a, yeah, we need a beer tasting. Yeah, show. and I've been sitting on them for months. So uh, send me an email, guys, and remind me who you are. Maybe we can do them uh, next month. In yeah, and, and also, you know, just a good show reminder, you know, make sure to thoroughly label those because we do, you know, we do, it's, we're lucky we get quite a bit of beer. Yeah. And uh, it just helps us uh, keep it straight. And even it's just as just simple as Writing your email address on the beer. Exactly. Could be, could be that simple. You know, Moscow can shoot you an email asking you questions. Or if we have follow-up questions or feedback, we can we can get back to you on that. Yeah, 100%. So. And you, these guys, you know, you guys did label your beers. But like Jay said, you know, your name and your email, make sure you put that on there as well. Yeah. Okay. That's a good call. All right. But thank you, guys. It's very generous. Other ways you can participate besides sending us beer. Well, it seems like it's a lot of work to send us beer. Even less work is calling us, but you guys don't do this. We know your level of laziness on that, and that's fine. Yeah, but get, still, we're here. Just, they listen, uh, you know, at their at their leisure on their commute. At, at the leisure on, on a live audience on the know? pod waves eight 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 four one beer. People do join us in the chat from time to time, or you can email us. Uh, we do get lots of emails. Scott at thebrewingnetwork dot com, Jay at thebrewingnetwork dot com. You can watch us live, where you could see all those labels and find out if Scott held up your beer. But yeah, if you want to, another way to do the live thing is thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV. Listen live also on the Brewing Network app. Search BN Mobile, and uh, you know what's you know what's next. Subscribe and leave feedback on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. I don't know review if it's called the Review of the Week. I've now added that to my notes, so I don't forget Review of the Week. But really, it's like of the week, you know, we're like a twice a month yeah. podcast. Yeah, so review of the, of the Fortnite. What, do we Is that two weeks? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm down with that review of the Fortnite. Well, you know, I did actually get um, I got an email regarding the Review of the Week, and it was from Monty. He's Scott with three T's. I have a tip about the review of the week theme that Jay sings. Jay's theme reminds me of a track by composer Vangelis, the dude who wrote the theme for the movie Chariots of Fire. The tune that I think sounds like Jay's theme is Polestar by Vangelis. Check it out for a sample. So he sends me, uh, sends me a, a link to the video. Love the show. Couldn't be better. Three stars. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's Monty from Sonoma. So let's see. So I pulled the track Monty was speaking of. Oh my god. Now that's pretty close, right? <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Is that the beginning to Chariots of Fire? No, that, it's just the same oh, composer the same. that wrote that, but it's it's just his own song or whatever. But uh, that's a It's pretty incredible because I've pull. number one never heard of that composer. Me and neither. number two, don't remember singing that song. <laughs> <laughs> so you must maybe I wonder if it's just either coincidence or maybe you heard it. At some Dungeons and Dragons meeting, I don't somewhere. even recognize it now. That's the weird thing. Mm. Like, I- <laughs>
That's so good. Monty. That's very good. Great stuff. <laughs> okay, so anyway, so the, re- really the review of the week is from... Thank you, Monty. Artie. Artie says, it's five stars. He says, this show is what the session is not. Informative, funny, good looking. If you want to learn about the best sour beer production and who is making it, listen to the Sour Hour, a.k.a. the Bizarro Session. That is from Artie. Thanks, dude. Very cool. That's the review of the Fortnite from iTunes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. That should be sponsored, I think. That's a good place to drop the sponsor in. Yeah, Yeah. that is. You're right. I'll I'll work on that. Review of the Week, sponsored this week, for no reason, by The Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com. It's where to get all your sour sour beer, wild yeast, and bacteria from Omega Yeast and Giga Yeast. Most items are going to ship within 24 hours, and best of all, BN listeners in the continental United States get a flat $8 shipping rate on orders under 50 pounds. Just under BN shipping in the notes field, of the shopping cart, and the discount will be taken off after checkout. The Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. Is Bevo still with us? Yeah, no, she's... No, checked no, out. No. Totally checked out. <laughs> it's too bad she's not going to listen to our greatest show of all time. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, okay, uh, we're we started a little late uh, in real time today, so I'm going to keep it a little brief off the top. We do have a lot to recap, but maybe I'll yeah, save that so for much. the the second show. So, SF Beer Week, we kind of touched on that. That went really well. That was a lot of fun. Thank all of you who uh, came out to the Rare Barrel for that. I feel like we we touched on a lot of that as it was happening during the Jester King show, the Brewery Taru show, since they were a couple of our guests. One of the big ones that I really wanted to talk about was uh, going to Brazil. So this was shortly after the Craft Brewers Conference. Um, I was invited to speak at one of the state homebrewers technical conferences the, in uh, Santa Catarina, a city called Florianopolis or Floripa. And it's a beautiful place. It's an island of about 500 thousand or so people in mm-hmm. the southeast of brazil wow yeah unbelievable it's like a more beautiful san diego wow it, yeah just like really awesome place um so jealous what was your to- what was your topic ipa <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry Stupid no question. i did uh, i did two talks on sour beer one kind of more um intro to sour beer and then kind of advanced topics met up with a lot of local home brewers and quite a few pro brewers as well Big thanks to one of my traveling buddies down there, which was uh, Stan Hieronymus. Nice. Famous brewing author. And uh, if you ever get to travel with him, highly recommended. Great travel buddy. Uh, my girlfriend Molly came down with us as well. I want to thank all the brewers at uh, Armada, which is this awesome brewery concept down there. There's probably about, I'm sorry, this is a little bit off, but probably maybe 15 craft brewers, breweries in the area for about 500,000 people. And kind of as this scene was getting going, they started this brewery where they could all come and brew their beers called Armada. So it's like they have this one brewery where they all come and brew the different beers from each of the different concepts. It's like almost like if a homebrew club started a pro brewery, but then all the homebrewers start to start their own breweries. That's kind of how it developed. But anyway, there's about 10 brewers, and we went to a bunch of their spots and hung out with those guys uh, all week. Too many to name all here, but nicest people in the world and really, really great beers. A lot of sour beers, some kettle sours, really good stuff. Top notch. Nice. Um, good. The kettle sours were right there, huh? They Top were, the yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, I mean, even I'd say on average because I didn't really have a bad one uh, better than the U.S. So good versions. to hear. Wow. Um, so that was awesome. Keep up the great work uh, to all the brewers down there. And I just want to give a special shout-out to the friends at Unica Brewery. So that's uh, Vinny, Luciano, and uh, our host and good friend, Ronaldo, who really spent tons of time with us, took us everywhere, every meal, drove us all around the island, showed us all these beautiful spots, spent a bunch of time with us, and just showed us the absolute best time and if you guys are ever able to go down to floripa uh i highly recommend it the beer scene is really blowing up the the breweries are in some like beautiful some of them are in just like gorgeous gorgeous spots so uh and it's just a great place to be so we were there 
you know, it's kind of fall right now. Yeah. So right after uh, the busy season, they have like a million beaches. They host like the uh, the World Surfing Championships. So if you like Man. craft beer and surfing, great place to go. But beautiful beaches, great place to just go and hang out. And there's it's jungly and lush and great food. And it was just it was a really amazing place. And everyone was so nice to uh, Molly and myself. So. Big thanks to everyone down in Brazil, and I hope to go back someday for sure. It so was jealous. an amazing experience. Man, I'm so glad Molly could go in my place. You know, I couldn't <laughs> make it. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was really incredible, and uh, you know, just big props to the amazing generosity of all the homebrewers down there. And I, I think that's that's great that uh, you know they've gotten some. They've gotten they've had uh, you know John Palmer down there, uh, John Mallet from Bells amongst, uh, they had Tonsmeyer down there uh, nice. amongst a, a bunch of other people. And I know Palmer and Tasty and uh, our friend Brandon Jones from uh, Yazoo and Embrace the Funk, they actually just did something similar out in Ireland. They went to the Homebrewers Conference out there and just got back around the same time. So I just really like this uh, this sort of like exchange program we have going and uh <laughs> It was, it was really quite a lot of fun, so I'm very appreciative of that. All right, running along, I, know, well, I want to get to our guest. One thing I just want to touch on fairly briefly, since it's just kind of new, and that's Wicked Weed. Wicked Weed uh, sold just a week, about a week ago to uh, AB InBev. And, you know, to be honest, I don't have too much to say about it at this point right now. It's 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 a lot different for me than some of the previous acquisitions in that it's just personal because I've come to know a lot of the people associated with Wicked Weed. And made beer together. Yeah, made beer together. So to me, you know, it's just still really raw and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm sad to be honest. I'm sad about this. And, uh, but I can segment it into kind of two parts and that's the business side of things and then the personal side of things. And the business side to me is, pretty straightforward and that's that wicked weed sold to anheuser bush and that's a company that you know we're not interested in working with from the personal side it's a little more complex you know i've developed friendships with a lot of the employees who work at wicked weed and that just doesn't go away overnight you know that's the memories we've had great times together so while from the business side from rare barrels perspective it's it's clear you know, I wish my friends at Wicked Weed the best on a personal level. Um, and just one other thing I wanted to say is that it's been a difficult process for us on the outside looking in, but I also just try to remember that the employees who work there, who work hard, are really good people. And it's just, it's more than a brand, a logo, a name that's sold to Anheuser InBev. It's, it's a lot of people who, who work there, so... That's why it's personal. So it's just those those are the people I'm thinking about right now, and that's why I guess that's kind of all I have to say about it right now because it's just still people that I have grown to care a lot about, have developed friendships with. So it's just still raw, and I'm I'm still just upset about it. So that's all I got for now. Maybe right. we'll, maybe we'll get you know more into it at some point. Um, there's plenty of t- people out there talking about it. If you want, you know takes about it but yeah to me it's it's just a little different and uh and it's been tough so uh yeah that's all i got on that like i said maybe we'll get more into it at some point but that's all i got on it right now for sure and i I, this is a as your friend man like i i feel for you guys you know yeah i mean it's just it's a it's a sad present and an uncertain future and so that's i don't know and I don't know what else to say about it at this point. That's fair. And let me just say that there uh, I know they addressed it on the last episode of the session. That is another show on this network, in case you did not know. Uh, please listen to it, uh, as well as other BN shows like Dr. Homebrew and Brewing with Style and Brew Strong. Uh, this is a great network full of great beer shows, not just this one. Um, I'm sure most of you are aware. Some of you are probably not, so have a listen. And like I said, the last episode Despite of the session. Despite what the reviews of this show say <laughs> and what we ask you to write on there. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, but, yeah, I, I know um, Bev was saying that they, they did a, a longer-form discussion on this. And so, like you said, there's a million other you know, sources where you can read long-form about uh, different people's takes on this. But uh, the session is one such place. So yeah. I'd throw that in there right now. That's, that's great. All right. Well, we'll get into uh, real beer talk. 
with OEC Brewing from Oxford, Connecticut, and crack some beers. How about that? Oh, yeah. I will attempt to activate my taste buds <laughs> right after this on the Sour Hour. Nico, listen, our lawyers said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months until the next kids. meeting. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. <clears throat> Hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment 10 years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Hell or High Watermelon Wheat Beer at Brew for Your Die IPA in the Northeast, Northwest, parts of the Midwest, and Alaska in cans and on draft. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in a can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. Listening to our new tunes. Roots. How's that right? Yeah. It's very pleasant. I like it. We're back. It's the Sour Hour. I want to thank one of our great sponsors, Oregon Fruit Products, the aseptic purees that are easy to use and convenient to store. No additives or artificial flavors. Simply great expression of the raw fruit, including new pink guava. It's really Ooh. exciting where you started to use that. Mm. Um, always new stuff up there. They love working with brewers to help us innovate. Check them out. Fruitforbrewing.com. That's where you're going to find all their, their big list of fruit. Oregon Fruit. They bring fruit to life. L'chaim. Uh, let me say quickly, I didn't get to mention, I meant to, uh, when we were doing the other shows, listen to all the other shows on this fabulous brewing network. I also have a poker show, not related to the BN, but it's just a show I do about poker with my buddy Ryan. It's called Showdown. If you search Showdown Poker Podcast, if you have a, a interest in cards and poker. And Moscow. And, and myself, then um, check it out. Yeah, do it. I've learned so much oh, from yeah? from you. Yeah. Well, is that why you? Just I'm took, way up. You took on... every red cent off me the last time we played. Is yep. that why? Yep. I'm, I'm my own worst enemy. I only collect the red cents. That's why. <laughs> that's why I'm so profitable. What else? Anything else at the top? No. Dive let's in. Talk to these guys about this fantastic beer that's in our glass. OEC Brewing from Oxford, Connecticut. Guys, are you there? Hello. Hey. Now we've got, uh, I believe, four of you on with us. So maybe what I'll do is uh, have you guys introduce yourself so we can get used to your voices and you can tell us your, your titles or just a little bit of, uh, of what you do at the brewery. Uh, Dave, assistant brewer, uh, longtime listener, first time caller. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Is Bevo, is she knitting back there? She's YouTubing. Yeah, Beave. Oh, no, now Beave. she's she's folding they, they shirts now. They want to know now. what you're doing back there. One moment, please, Dave. We have a we have a long-time listener on the line who wants to know what you're doing in your booth back there. What are you I'm, up to? I'm rolling T-shirts. Oh, see, awesome. it's exciting stuff. It's really exciting. I'm rolling T-shirts and watching YouTube videos. There you go. Well, Beave, I'm glad you're with us here tonight. <laughs> Thank you. So nice to talk to you. Uh, so I'm Dave, assistant brewer, uh, engineer, beekeeper, general... Guy around the brewery. Avid podcast listener. <laughs> um, avid podcast listener, yeah. Thanks, Dave. Awesome. Um, I'm Clark. I am Barrel Shepherd, Hose Dragger, um, <laughs> everything in the cellar. A little bit of blending, too. Good to be here. I'm Ben. I guess I'm the owner. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> and Tony's next. And I'm, uh, I'm Tony, also an assistant brewer. Tasting room manager, social media guy, just kind of hanging out. You know, long time caller, first time listener. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate you guys being here, and uh, thanks especially to uh, Tony for doing a lot of the organizing, Dave for for sending the beers out, and uh, Ben. I enjoyed the. Uh, I was on your guys' website today. I like uh, Ben's description of his uh, his like about me page. It's like most of the other people who work here just spend their time looking for Ben. Where's Ben? <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's, that's true. True. Yeah, I'm actually a recluse, so it's amazing that you got me on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
we're definitely happy to have all you guys in the same place at the same time. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten to know a little bit more about you guys uh, over time and had your beers on, on one occasion before when we were out for uh, the Extreme Beer Festival out in, uh, in Boston. But for those who maybe are a little less familiar, how would you describe your beers and your brewery to someone who's uh, never had the beer or, or been out there? So it's Ben. So I'm going to give you the quick description of our beer. So usually when a person comes up to the bar and asks us for a pour, and I'm working, you know, I ask them if they've ever ever been here before. And if they say no, my explanation is that we make a lot of very eccentric, old-style, historically-based sour beers. Um, sometimes they really look at me with big eyes. Other times they say, hey, I like Sam Adams. Is this like that? And I say, no, you're in the wrong place. Uh, so a lot of our concepts, and you look at our artwork, you know, we have a shield, we have signage, we have, some people refer to it as Illuminati things of, of that nature, but it's kind of it's kind of a joke of the secret societies of old and the mysticism that's involved in brewing. So, so growing up, I always kind of liked playing, like, with knights, and, you know, I played the old Legos with the knights, and so that's kind of where I got a lot of the artwork from that we do. And a lot of it is kind of based on, a, on an inside joke. I, I, I don't know if you guys ever saw, you know, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, yeah. Which, yeah, of course. You know, of course. So, like, you know, in brewing, like, nowadays you call yourself a brewmaster and everything, like like you're in charge of everything. But, you know, when you make sour beers, you're, you're almost more like a coach. You're trying to get the beer into the position where it can become something that's really interesting and unique. You're not so much a brewmaster that's trying to mechanically control it. And so, like, all our artwork and our, our beers are, are based on that concept that we, like, kind of nature do its thing rather than just trying to totally control the process like modern brewing, which is kind of funny because I'm, I'm German. And, you know, most German <laughs> brewers hate sour beer. And, of course, that's, like, the one thing I love. <laughs> <laughs> that's excellent. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really cool learning a lot about your backstory. And, and maybe you can explain kind of uh, – a little bit more about how you got started intrigued me. There was something to do with importing beer or distributing beer that kicked this whole thing off from the beginning. Is that correct? Yeah, so I've been in beer for over a decade now, and my my family is closely linked to beer. My, my father owns Be United International. Be United International obviously brings in beers from all over the world. So we do some uh, some brands that you may know, is like Kyuchi Brewery, the Hitachi no line out of Japan. Some people commonly refer to the Owl beer. We do Schneider Weisse, and we do Reisdorf Kolsch, and lots of other more eccentric beers from all over the world, you know, Italy, Japan, and so forth. So how did that turn into actually making your own beer? So we moved into a new facility in mid-2009, and at the time we were working on changing the way the United International does draft business. And so then we decided to change the system to a system where we fill the draft here rather than send empty kegs all over the world and then trying to recollect them filled. So we started building these uh, big tank containers. And if you go to BeUnitedInternational.com, you can actually see the pictures. They look like four uh, maturate, brewery maturation tanks that are glued together, uh, 30 barrels apiece. And they actually get lifted up on the ships and go right on the tank container ships across the ocean to where they ever they need to get filled. So, for example, if they go to Europe, they might go to four different breweries and collect four different products. And that whole time, they're actually plugged in on reefer units and temperature controlled the whole way through. So that's how we started actually packaging products. So I worked my way back from learning how to package and quality control towards brewing. I didn't start by home brewing and then applying the techniques that way. I went in reverse. That's really interesting. I'm, I've not heard of that before. Is that common practice, or is, were you guys kind of innovative on that side of things, that transport of finished beer across the ocean and then packaging it kind of closer to the end consumer? I think we're the only specialty importer that does it that way. That's really cool. So what is what does the brewery look like now? Like if someone was going to walk in there, what, what would they see? What is the, the taste room like? What is the the kind of nuts and bolts on the on the back end look like so you can actually see the, the all the brewing equipment right as you as you walk in and through the brewery into the tasting room area so so if you walk in the front door actually right to your right is the brew house so we have an old school uh, european style brew house 
that looks somewhat modern with a DJ booth on top, but it actually has very historic principles built into it. Like, we actually don't have a whirlpool. So we actually, we, we mash into the same kettle that we boil. We always have to transfer all the wort and uh, all, with all the grains over to the lauder ton and then actually lauder right back into the, into the kettle. So that means actually uh, moving, moving the mash is a natural part of the process. So we're very easily able to do decoctions and turbid meshes. But that also means that we actually have to send all our products through a cool ship no matter what. So we actually settle out in the cool ship. Hmm. When you walk right in the front door, the brew house is on the right. You'll see the cool ship room on the left, and then you'll see our open fermentation tanks also on the left. Those are in a, kind of enclosed rooms or enclosed areas where we can clean them. That's cool. And you guys do quite a bit of uh, oak aging on your beers. What's the what's the size of the brewery? What's the size of the oak cellar to kind of maybe just contextualize it for those listening? Okay. So so the brew house and barrels, it's, it's a European equivalent to like – a 12 barrel so it's like an oversized 15 hectoliter brew house so we can do bigger batches where we'll get full 12 hectoliters out like if we do or 12 barrels if we do a stronger beer even and then in terms about the barrels we mostly have a smaller barrel like the wine barrels like 230 liter barrels we have about 400 of those then we have a couple of bigger kind of casts that are about you know a thousand to twelve hundred liters a piece and uh we have a couple granite tanks that are smaller 600 liters and then we have a couple amphoras all right i want to ask more about those in a little bit for sure because that that really piqued my interest but first off ben take a sip of beer i want someone else to answer this next one but we open we crack one of the beers this yeah. is one of the ones that I believe is part of the uh, Frigas series. Do you know which one it is, Scott? Yeah, is it Vetus? Vetus? Yeah, that's correct. Vetus. You got it. Who wants to tell us a little bit about this beer, how it's made, and, and what we're tasting here? It's very good. Well, all right. Uh, this is Tony. Um, I, the idea of this beer came from, uh, actually, I came to Ben with the idea of putting together a beer to gar. Beer to gar. So unlike Ben, I do come from uh, home brewing. And beer to guard, you know, farmhouse in general was always just one of my favorite things to brew back at home. So I felt like early on it it would be something that would fit in with what we were trying to do. So uh, we brewed a beer to guard, uh, came up with a recipe, um, and just brewed this beer. So then we threw it in some barrels because we put pretty much all of our beers into oak barrels after uh, secondary. Um, and then this beer was sitting in one of our outdoor barns um, and accidentally froze, actually. (laughs) So um, we kind of ran with that. Uh, We had a slew of barrels that froze, so we were able to kind of come up with these interesting methods of doing a beer. So this is kind of like an icebox beer, but um, I'm actually going to pass it off to Dave right now because Dave is the guy who comes and deals with the barrels and the ice. So this is Dave. So this was my first winter here, and there was a lot of snow. <laughs> and I hike out to the ice barn where all the barrels are kept, and I'm drilling through ice and pumping the beer out into other barrels and consolidating. And this took me probably, like, close to two weeks of wow. just every day out in the cold pumping beer. But I really got to know those beers as I'm sitting there tasting them you know, and uh, and just waiting for them to move into other barrels. These the Frigus series, I feel like they all have a certain like woody flavor to them that I have not tasted in another beer before. I really don't even know how to describe it. It's just it's an I think it's an interesting common thread between them all. And do all the beers that go through this series? I mean, I know they're so. Just a little bit of context. You know, I know you guys have all these different series or categories of beers, and we'll dive into to each one. And this is the one that you know has the sort of the outside conditions. Really, it's a some farmhouse beers that are in your 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 small barn that's not temperature controlled. Obviously, do they all go through the like a summer and a winter? Do they all freeze, or do only some freeze? How does that work? So, so usually the ones that we put in for the Fergus series, we put in in the fall to take out in the early spring of the next year. 
the real problem with doing it is that the winter needs to be really brutally cold. And here in the new Northeast, where we are in Connecticut, sometimes we'll get brutally cold winters. Other times we won't. So that year we actually got two beers that we got out of the Frigus lines. But then the, the last two winters have been more mild. Like this last winter in, in February, right when they were about to freeze, we had like a really warm spell. And so that kind of stopped it. And then we actually didn't get any beers the last two years out of this line. So it's actually quite difficult to make. One of the reasons it's so difficult or so interesting, the series, is because during those colder temperatures, of course, like the yeast goes to sleep, but also a lot of the bacteria will not function. So it's, I think it's a little bit more akin to, for example, when you're making bourbon and they're going to the extreme winter, right? So you can extract different flavors out of the barrels without the bacteria and yeast activity around it. So I think those flavors that Dave was talking around kind of come from that from that perspective. So it's very different than having it in those barrels during the warm environments and extracting it with the bacteria and the yeast activity at the same time versus here they kind of hibernate during that winter when it gets that cold. Then we, we pump out the concentrated liquid before it, you know the, the ice can unthaw and then, then some of the yeast starts to reactivate. So actually you get very different reactions than you would in the other scenarios that we have the barrels in. One of the important things that we've all just not said, uh, with the Frigga series, one of the most defining characteristics of it is the fact that it is, what makes the beer fit into the Frigga series is that it's a naturally ice-bocked beer. It is a beer that was naturally frozen out okay. in our uh, one of our outer barns. So, you know, just beers that go through a cold winter or a hot summer, that doesn't fall into the Frigga series. It has to have been naturally frozen. So what happens to the beers? Maybe you would hope that they become the Frigga series and, and I guess maybe they're bearded guards or maybe some other style, but they don't, they'll, what happened to the beers for the, from the last two years, I guess that didn't freeze. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they never met their beer destiny. No, <laughs> no since, they, since they didn't freeze, usually we use them back in other blends or so, but they don't become part of the Frigga's project. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause this looks like from the label, this was blended in uh, 2015 from what I can see. And uh, this is a beautiful beer. I, I'm just thinking about freezing a beer, though. I, I, would, I would worry about some uh, some off flavor due to, like, yeast autolysis or something like that. Uh, you know, obviously, you guys are tasting these beers before a blend. Do you find any off flavors associated with the freezing process or the pumping or anything like that? No, it's actually, ironically, those barrels tend to be more delicate. When, when you taste them or, or, or you, you move them over, they're actually some of the, the less sour beers that we produce. But they, they seem to get a little bit more depth, especially on the oaky side, a little bit more of the fruitiness. seems to get a little bit more of the fruitiness that comes out of the wine barrel. It, it's interesting, but we've, we've never experienced anything as far as yeast autolysis flavors in that. It seems like the yeast just kind of goes to sleep and won't even autolyze. It's interesting. So when the barrel is, or when anything is cold, it contracts, and when it's hot, it expands. Or do I have that reversed? Yeah. Yep, that's right. Okay, so so if it contracts, I'm guessing that unless unless the layer of ice provides a, a seal, but I'm picturing more oxygen ingress in the barrel because the staves all kind of contract together. The ice, the part of the beer, the water that freezes is expanding tremendously, too. So that uh, does create essentially a barrier around... Yeah, yeah I mean, when, when Dave went in there, how many inches like 40, did you drill through? I drilled through like eight inches of ice. Like oh, my percent. God. Crazy. percent <laughs> of it was frozen, yeah. So, like, I'm drilling through eight inches of ice and then trying to get the barrel on down in there so I can pump this stuff out and then trying to get a seal. You know, it wasn't easy. It's a good thing Dave is an avid ice fisherman, so you have to properly use. It's true. Yeah. That's awesome. It's amazing that this is the suit freezing. <laughs> this is the first beer we've opened, and uh, you know, after doing this prep work uh, to to interview you guys today, I was like, oh yeah, the shit thing sounds cool, and now I'm like, oh man, this. This interview is going to go long. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> you guys are doing like so much cool stuff there, and uh, I'm just I'm really looking forward to getting into all these beers. Um, I want to take uh, a quick break, but maybe we can get to a question before that. And the questions tonight, Scott. Yes, Jay. All the listeners know they're brought to us by SourBeerBlog.com. Of course. But hmm? 
the longest-running sponsor on the Sour Hour Sour Beer blog, is also now opening their own sour and farmhouse-focused brewery in central Pennsylvania. Yes, he is. So let's help him get started. Join their Founders Club, which includes eight exclusive bottles of club-only aged and blended sour beer. You can get early access to all their public bottle releases, a hooded sweatshirt, a pair of tasting glasses, the club growler, and a metal challenge coin. I'll have to follow up and see what that is exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Not to mention discounts and much more. To learn more and join the Founders Club, check out, here's the name, Mellow Mink Brewing at MellowMink.com. So big congrats to Dr. Lambic. That's going to be a lot of fun, and he's going to be on the show probably as a... He's a pro-brewing guest one of these days. That's so right. That's yeah. Be awesome. Can you imagine how good his pro-beer is going to be, given how good his homebrew is? It's going to break it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we see. You have your work cut out for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You guys are up to a good start so far, so I'm yeah. excited. Me too. And go check him out, mellowmink.com, uh, and uh, go support those who support the show. And get some awesome stuff and awesome beer in return. Why yeah. not? Um, so quickly, before I get to this question from Kyle McCarron, did you think that you were going to drill? Did, did you know <laughs> you were going to hit liquid? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a possibility that you won't. You never know. It's like every guy that goes out there digging for oil, you pray yeah. that you're going to hit something. You know? Gotcha. Well, you struck gold. Okay, so here's from Kyle McCarron. He says, I've been visiting uh, OEC for the past three years, and I have never once been disappointed with the quality, innovation, or the zeal for collaboration. In terms of your uh, prolific barrel program, where do you acquire the many barrels I see you use, and what exactly is a gin Pinot Noir barrel? I see that used in many beers, especially one of my favorites, which is a Goza... Gozatakin? Gozatakin. Gozatakin, he said, but I never really understood. <laughs> <laughs> but I never really understood what that meant, says Kyle. Those barrels actually are those are from uh, Ransom Spirits uh, in Oregon. Uh, they are a distillery, but they're also a vineyard. So these are barrels that uh, first held their Pinot Noir and then for second or third use even that uh, then held their gin. So it maintains characteristics of the original wine they had in there, but also the gin. Uh, the, the gin itself is actually quite brilliant, too, and I'm not even a gin drinker, but um, it, the way, it, like, what it yields into our beers, I think, is really outstanding. So anytime you see that on any of our labels, Pinot Noir gin or um, Pinot Noir whiskey, same thing, uh, but they're all Ransom Spirits barrels for that stuff. To answer the rest of the question, we get barrels from all over the world. So we get barrels from some select vineyards out of South Africa. We usually pick specific vineyards and deal with those. We don't just generally just buy barrels from from other collectors who pre-source them. So we actually go out of our way to source the barrels from exclusive vineyards. That's awesome. Thanks, Kyle, for the question. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. And and the nice words. That's That's really cool. All right. Well, let's get to a break and uh, get into more of these great beers. We'll be right back with OEC on the Sour Hour. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. This is Jamel Zanishev, and I want to tell you about Heretic Evil Twin. You might be familiar with my homebrew recipe, which uses massive late hopping to create a balance between the malty sweet and the hoppy bitter, along with an outrageous malt and hop character. I wanted a beer with the same bold hop and malt character, so we played around with the homebrew recipe until we were able to make a great commercial version, too. We've created a beer rich in malt character, full of caramel, toast, biscuit, and an ever-so-subtle roast note. On top of that, we piled in an insane amount of citra and Columbus hops at the end of the boil, as well as in dry hopping. This damn-the-cost approach to hopping gives Heretic's Evil Twin a great blast of citrus and tropical fruit that can't be matched by any other hop. The result is a bold, malty, hoppy, but easy-drinking beer. This is our top seller, our flagship beer, and I couldn't be prouder of it. Cheers. To find Heretic Beers near you, click on Find Some at hereticbrewing.com. Network. Got OEC Brewing and their awesome 
Experimental Beers. They're out of Oxford, Connecticut. Good enough to join us on the show tonight. Uh, before we dive back in, we've got some, ooh, what's in that beer? Peaches and what? Kumquats. That sounds great. I want to thank a couple a couple of our great sponsors, Nishamini Creek. Just on the session, go back and listen to that. Good good dudes. Uh, they've been on the Philly beer scene, beer map scene since 2012. Three-time Philly beer scene magazine, Brewer of the Year, 14, 15, and 16. Two-time GABF Vienna-style lager medal winner. Large expanded recently renovated tap room with 24 beers on tap, 18 of which are rotating. There's a variety of beers from hoppy double IPAs to sessionable, poundable lagers to oak fermented saisons and sour beers. Free brewery tours on Saturdays. NishiminiCreekBrewing.com. It came to my attention, too, that uh, we have been saying Nishimini. You know, yeah. which is mo- maybe mostly me, but I think both of us. And uh, I'd like to blame it on <laughs> mostly like, me, but both of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to, you know, oh, we just say it quickly and it just rolls off that way. But no, nah, I'm Nishamini. just an idiot. Nishamini. Nishamini. I'm down with that. That's how it reads. Yeah. So I blame you. NishaminiCreekBrewing.com. <laughs> One more sponsor, iDip. It's yeah. a homework commercial use water testing kit, which incorporates a revolutionary photometer or photometer. 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 Oh, controversy. (laughs) Which is the first and only on its market using its own app. The iDip can perform over 40 different water quality tests. For things like chloride, calcium hardness, pH, sulfate, and much more, podcast listeners should enter code TBN10 at checkout and save $10 on either standard or advanced smart brew testing kit. Order now and make this futuristic technology part of your brewing process. Visit www.smartbrewkit.com. There you go. I did. I want to be able to, like, start reading it and time it out so that when I say dot .com, mm-hmm. It says, like, I put I my hand up on your hip. Yeah. <laughs> we'll practice off the Yeah, we'll practice. Can you guys explain the dip for the whole interview? Yeah. <laughs> 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 It'll really, really reinforce the I dip across the whole interview. Everything's so much cooler on a bed of music, isn't it? Yeah, Over that sounds good. All right, so we've got the uh, Experimentalis series open now, and this is Peaches and Kumquats. So maybe... Maybe you guys can tell us a little bit about the series first, and then we can dive into the specific beer. All right, so Experimentalis as a series, it's a rotating different different recipes, different blends we put together. But what it really comes down to is that it is our beer aged in barrels on our property, but with fruit exclusively grown on our property. Uh, everything is either grown in our outdoor horticultural area or in one of our two greenhouses, um, with zero exception to that. So that's the kind of basis for experimentalists right there. Gotcha. And then, so you guys grow peaches and kumquats, I guess, right? Amongst many, many other things. (laughs) Cool. And so, so what, what do you guys grow? What grows well in your area? And tell us a little bit about how that all works. How do how do you go from sour beer to growing peaches? We're multifaceted here. <laughs> um, so what, what grows well in the Northeast, cherries, peaches, plums, quince, a bunch of different other stuff that we are um, trying to go right now. Yes. <laughs> New England IPAs go very well here. Um, <laughs> we also, <laughs> Next year it's going really great here. Uh, we, also, we also have a greenhouse where we grow all of our um, citrus trees. And... You know, you can grow pretty much anything there. We have everything from Merit Lemons to Buddha's Hand to, um, yeah, Calamadine, a bunch of different types of limes and oranges. So, yeah, any of those could be candidates for experimentals. Awesome. And how, how does one come up with the idea to create a greenhouse on site at a brewery? Because that's not something I've really heard of. You know, there's plenty of farmhouse brewers out there and people who grow things on site and that's something i'm i'm interested in doing we're kind of in an urban setting at the rare barrel so it's a little more difficult but what, what goes into making your own greenhouse and can you do it anywhere what's the what's the environment like around you guys i'm gonna let ben take this one because uh, that happened before my time but the, the greenhouse is actually my is my dad's idea 
uh, he, he loves growing stuff. And so he said, hey, let's do a greenhouse. I want to do a greenhouse and I want to plant all this stuff. So he started kind of going at it. If, he, if you know anything about where we're located in Connecticut, the hardest part of growing anything is the winter. Because sometimes the low get as low as like minus 10, minus 20, right? Mm -hmm. And so... So we initially started, we put a small greenhouse on the front of the property, but then we realized that got battered by uh, wind. And so we only really use that as a three seasons one, kind of, you know, to grow our spices. Uh, we do a number of different beers like Albus, where, which is our spice sour wit beer, where we grow our own uh, chamomile, lemon balm, and ginger. But then we also did a separate greenhouse in the back, a much bigger one. There's kind of like this uh, corner on the back of our building, which is south-facing, right for where the sun hits it, and it's sheltered from the wind. So we actually put a heated greenhouse right against the back side of the, the building there. And it actually does really well for citrus fruits. And uh, it keeps heat really well since it's sheltered from the window. So, so that's how we kind of ended up doing it, just through experimentation. And then the rest is kind of what we... Just planted over time. We have uh, five or six rows of different grapes, different grape styles that grow. We have a bunch of raspberry bushes. We have strawberries. We have a lot of currants and some of the other stuff that Clark talked about. No, I think that's really fascinating and, and an awesome project. Is there any? Do you guys have prior experience in this, or do you? Can you is there any resources you can recommend for brewers who are interest, interested in this sort of thing? Just do it. Yeah. I mean, um, my parents' house, um, which is like half an hour north of here, um, we grew up with a bunch of apple and pear trees. That's, good, that that's a good place to learn. Experience. You want to give out the address? Yeah. Uh, uh, text me. <laughs> but that, that's one of the things that people always ask, like, oh, how do you guys do all this stuff? How do you have experience in all this? And the truth is we do not have experience in all these things. So it might take us a little longer to get certain projects going because we are learning as we are doing it. But at the end of the day, we know it better than anything from just the first hand, like hands-on learning, actually just doing it. It's maybe not the most sensible way to do it, but I think it's probably the best way. I think, I think a lot of reading after hours goes in and uh, studying and research. You know, we're all passionate about what we do, so it's kind of life, and it, it kind of goes on, and we make it happen, and we make it work. This is, it's kind of blowing my mind a little bit, just because it's, it's such a cool project. You guys are using so many parts of the, you know, we talked about it a little bit on our, uh, on our Gesture King show, and Jeffrey brought it up, but the, the sense of time, the sense of place in your, in your brewing methods, and... It's just really cool, but it's it's the it, it all comes down to execution, right? Because if the beer doesn't taste good, doesn't matter if you get your microbes from the air or if you grow the things on site. But it, the proof is in the pudding. And while you guys were talking, this happens from time to time. Scott will shut off the mics if he needs to tell me something, and what he needed to tell me this time was. This beer is so fucking it's good. It's mind-blowingly good. It's just <laughs> stupendous. Those are the only adjectives we will accept for that beer. <laughs> this beer is so fucking good. That's actually what I'm going to put on my label next time. You wouldn't approve it. We tried. Ah. <laughs> Moscow, 2017. <laughs> it's really great. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, mind-blowing. Great work, guys. God, I mean, you know, a lot of beer, a lot of outstanding beer comes through this studio on this show. So I'm, I'm, like, running out of adjectives to use, and each one, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's just the one that's in front of me, right? Like, mm -hmm. But each one just seems to be better than the next. The peach characteristic, it's just so bright. Man, it's just so well done. Yeah, you guys are doing uh, awesome. This is, this is 2016, yeah. Yeah, yeah. September 2016. Excellent. Yeah, it's, it's, it's holding up really well. Um, so this is the Experimentala series. I want to really get into, you know, all of the series you guys are doing the, the cool vessels you guys are using. I want to talk about bees. I want to talk about spontaneous yeah. beer. <laughs> I know Dave's ready. Uh, but we're gonna we're coming up on our bumping up against the show break. Can you guys hang out for a little bit longer? I know you're on uh, East Coast time. Is that all right? You, you, yeah. got, you got like maybe 10 minutes left. <laughs> fair. That's fair. Yeah, we're good. We're here. All right. Awesome. Should I get to uh, one question here before we call it a show? Let's do a question. Before we do that, tickets are now on sale for the 39th annual. That's all? 39? That seems like a lot. What do you mean that's all? 
I thought it's been going on for a long time. I guess Carter legalized it, right? So that's, yeah. yeah, okay, that's about right. Yeah. 39th annual, sorry. The 139th annual. 139th annual National Homebrewers Conference, NHC, a.k.a. HomebrewCon. Join your homebrew comrades this June 15th through 17th in Minneapolis, the city of lakes in the state of Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes and 12,000 homebrews. Three unforgettable days of learning, camaraderie, and delicious beer. <laughs> Space is limited, so be sure to register now at homebrewcon.org, or as Bevo wrote it, homerbewcon.org. That's not the peep I know. Homerbewcon.org. No, really, homebrewcon.org. Register right now, just while you're listening to me. That's, yeah. that's the way to do it. And as we said before, if you have not been to HomebrewCon, do yourself a favor. It's the place to be in beer. And if you have been before, you know how awesome it is, so we'll see you again this year. I hear Minneapolis is awesome, like a really great city. I heard, like it, I heard it just now from you, so I, I concur. There you go. HomebrewCon.org. One last question? <laughs> yes, sir. This one is from uh, William Posky. And uh, he, I'm bringing this into the mix because this is from a couple months ago, but he said he was uh, going to age the beer I'm about to describe on apricots and peach puree. So since we got a peach beer in front of us, I figured mm-hmm. I'd read it. He said, uh, good afternoon, guys. I'm using the Rare Barrels Golden Recipe that is posted online. I plan to kettle sour with Omega Lacto Blend, then boil with a small addition of Amarillo after souring. I then planned on using uh, Sac Brux Trois as primary and add in Brett Clausini after about two weeks uh, to help finish off. So aside from stepping up the Trois Brett, do you feel those strains would have a problem attenuating with an already lowered pH kettle soured wort? I'd say, yeah. I mean, sometimes the the strains can have trouble. Bretts are pH tolerant, but if they, you can make them more pH tolerant over time. I'm not in favor of making sack, even though a wild saccharomyces like the sack Trois. More pH tolerant. I think you're just asking for cell death and off flavors there. So just get a strong, regular starter going. Pitch the accurate amount. Have yeast nutrient. Oxygenate the right amount. And go from there. That sounds like a a fine beer, a fine project. I would just... And then I would also wait. I, I forget when he said he was adding the fruit, but definitely wait till there's the strong primary fermentation and... Uh, you know, make sure you're adding fruit with enough healthy yeast at the end, but not too soon so you're having any acid shock too too early on. Yeah, he didn't specify when he was going to add it. He just said plan is to later age on three pounds each of apricot and peach puree. Uh, he also said that he uh, captured a spontaneous culture that flocks completely clear after two weeks and has an awesome, super clean Belgian saison aroma character, and he's going to actually provide it to a local brewery to use soon. That sounds great. Sounds, sounds cool. like, yeah, sounds like it's Belgian saison. But <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I hope you see guys like that. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> there is, I just, uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to get the, you know, spon- actually like true spontaneous strains of bread that have like super uh, characteristics that are so like Saccharomyces or uh, like a champ. Britannomyces. I mean, you look at, I, I use the Yeast Bay, uh, one of our local uh, yeast suppliers here in California. They just released uh, Britannomyces isolate. They called it TYB184, the Yeast Bay 184. Mm-hmm. And the reason they called it that is because they've been through trials with 183 Britannomyces strains, wild capture before then, that didn't ferment enough of the sugars found in beer making or just didn't produce positive flavors. So I'm always, I'm maybe the team captain of this team, but skeptical of, you know, all single strains of wild captures are positive. Now we're going to get into spontaneous beer on the next show. I think that's a little more of a symbiotic relationship, but I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I heard you chuckling in the background. Do you guys have any opinion on that? You know, we did a bunch of tests before we started, so we tried to culture uh, wild yeast, and I, th- I think we ran, Rob and I, who's not here, who works in our lab, we ran tests on probably about 100 different ones that we tried to isolate, we streaked them, then we tried to grow them back up, and then we did, you know, really small, simple extract recipes that would go to about 5% to see if they'd even ferment close. I think we found one or two 
that just made it. But then when we looked at under the microscope and we saw them, they weren't all Brettanomyces. So, so quite often, if you're capturing something, you're probably just capturing actual brewing yeast that's somewhat in the air. Especially if you're like a home brewer and you say you captured some spontaneous yeast. It's like, well, if you're home brewing, you know, and if your wife's baking, well, you probably just captured some Saccharomyces, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You think like you're isolating something, but if it if it drops out clear and does a perfect primary in two weeks, I, I highly doubt it. Sorry, I was sorry to crush the dream. Caught <laughs> <laughs> that, that cool white lab strain. <laughs> but cool. I mean, there's there's such a thing as mutations, and if something can survive out in the wild, it's not to say like that strain hasn't mutated mutated in a way that now it's like so uh, has such qualities that makes it persevere that now it's going to be express itself in a certain way or be more tolerant of crazy conditions and that that's cool too it's like it doesn't have i think people get too into oh is this different from brett brooks or is this different from this sack it's like well is going to express itself differently like what what matters it's the flavor of the beer at the end of the day right exactly. a little bit matters the story and sometimes a lot of bit that matters but Ultimately, if it doesn't make kick-ass beer, right. it's not going to matter right. if, at all. If a cool right. story is backing up a non-kick-ass beer, the story ain't cool. Exactly. And what do we want to do? Kick-ass. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, we appreciate you guys. That was an awesome uh, part one show. Thank you. I didn't even do my signal. <laughs> Big ups to OEC Brewing, Oxford, Connecticut. Thanks, fellas. We'll get back to you guys in, a, in a, just a second here. Thanks for all the listeners sending in the questions. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Thanks to Brazil, Nashville, Washington, D.C. for hosting over the last few weeks. Until next time, stay sour. Stay sour.